We are wrapping up our series, My Last Nerve, with my better half, my beautiful wife, Tiffany. We just always love to open up our life and to share with you, to help strengthen, to help your relationships. So it's great to have Tiffany as we wrap up this series together. And uh, we just want to kind of open up our life and share about some different tensions that we've navigated through uh, because after 21 years, there are times that we can still get on, get on each other's nerves. We have improved, and we want to share with you some tools that we think will really help you. Here's how we're going to begin today. We want to begin today by talking about one of the biggest lessons we've learned about just personally about getting on each other's nerves. So I'm going to share one of the biggest lessons I've learned. Tiffany's going to share one of the biggest lessons she's learned. And I believe this will help not only your marriage, but if you're dating, it'll help your friendships. It'll help you with parenting or maybe as a child with your parents or at your school. I believe we're going to share some relationship principles that will help your life. I would say one of the biggest lessons that I've learned about Tiffany getting on my nerve is Tiffany being on my nerves says more about me than it does about her. I used to think this. I used to think that the things that Tiffany would do or say that got on my nerves was more about her and her issues than me. So I, me being frustrated, I used to go, it's because of what Tiffany's doing. Me being angry, it's because of Tiffany. It's me being agitated because of her behavior or me being upset or wanting to argue it's because of what she did. And I, I was there for many years in our marriage that what you're doing is why I am mad. And now I've really grown to a place where I have learned that Tiffany being on my nerves is not about her. It's really about me. And looking myself in the mirror going, I've got some spiritual immaturity. I've got my sin nature and my flesh that's in control right now. I've got areas where I need to grow. And so I've really changed and stopped trying to change Tiffany. And I work on changing me. And I used to think if she would change, our marriage would get better. And now I know if I change, our marriage will get better. How many of you married couples know that you can't change your spouse anyways? Come on, lift your hand. Come on. If you're married, you should have lifted your hand up. That's all I want to. You have a conversation after church, you better lift that hand up next time. And I would say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, this scripture just speaks deeply to me and about areas I need to grow in. It's the definition of love in the Bible, where it says love is patient. And there are times I'm not patient with my wife. And I go, that's not her issue, that's mine. Love is kind. Sometimes I'm not kind, and that's not her issue, that's my issue. And you just start reading that scripture, the definition of love. It is not proud or dishonoring others or self-seeking or easily angered. Or it keeps no record of wrongs and me trying to keep a record. Well, here's what you did, here's what you said. I don't like this. And keeping records, that is not love. And I've got to continue to grow that I love my wife better. It says love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts. And I just start reading all of that. And I realize how much I need to grow. And I'm going to give you the number one thing that has changed my life and to help me to grow and to be a better husband and a better person and a better leader and a better follower of God. And that is this. I have to stay on my knees so God can work in my heart. I have to stay on my knees so God can work in my heart. I really do need the Lord and I need his help. I need him work in my heart and it reminds me of the scripture in 1 John chapter one. It says in verse nine, if we confess our sins and I used to find myself confessing my excuses, 
Well, you know, it's Tiffany and, you know, her issues and justifying what I was doing. And I've learned, you know what I got to do is confess my own sins, confess my own issues to God. And he says he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And God, here's what I have seen in my life. As I start confessing my stuff to God, boy, not only does he forgive me, but he purifies me. He's changing me. And I don't know about you. You may be more spiritual than me, but I have to do this every day. I got to get on my knees every day. And God has been changing me and working in me and changing me and working in me. I find myself being more patient with Tiffany. I find myself being more kind with Tiffany. And I still blow it. But when I blow it, I confess it to God. I get back on my knees and say, God, don't change Tiffany. Change me. So the biggest thing I've learned about Tiffany getting on my nerves, it, when she's on my nerves, it says a whole lot more about me than it does about her. And I would say in our marriage, I got so frustrated with Herbert, but more than that, with the fact that I felt like we kept dealing with the same issues over and over. And I would really get frustrated with myself as well. And why are we back here again? We've already talked through this. Why do we keep circling back? And I got to a place that I was so frustrated that it got easier for me to blame Herbert for everything than to own my own part. And as I continued to do that, I started to view myself as the victim. And that was a very bad place to get in my marriage. Because when I became the victim, it prevented me from owning that I am a part of this relationship, this marriage. Um, I'm not just a bystander. I'm not just taking things or going with the flow, but that I'm an active participant in this marriage. Um, And so... I got in a bad place. I would take moments of hurt and then tell myself that I'm just a deeply wounded person. Or I would make mistakes and instead of just seeing that for what it was, I identified myself as damaged and that I was never good enough. I was never going to be enough. And I just started to live in this victim mentality of defeat. And it wasn't that it was just bad for me, but it was so bad for our marriage and our relationship. And I really had to get to a place that I was willing to look honestly at myself. And I love what it says in Proverbs 14.1, a wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. And I was doing things um, that were tearing down our marriage. And I was operating solely with blinders on, thinking about me, my feelings, how I was feeling in this situation, rather than thinking about we. And honestly, I was giving more power to my hurt than to my healing. And I was giving more power to my discouragement and my disappointments than the hope that God provides. And honestly, it was just my flesh. I was letting my flesh rule, and I was keeping God out of the equation. And so When I got to a place that I recognized that I was living as a victim, I was placing all the blame on Herbert, I was not owning my part, it allowed me to invite God back into the equation, to reveal things in my own life. And also, I would say two things really helped me. Um, The first is um, to recognize in our relationship, it's not about winning or losing. There's so much in marriage that's compromised. And I had to shift my mindset mindset that it's winning or learning, that 
because sometimes I blow it, it doesn't mean that I'm a failure. It doesn't mean that I've lost. It means that this is a time and a place that I can grow in my relationship. Um, and then I would say another one that really helps me is that it's not about perfection. It's about direction. And so I would get hung up on not doing it perfectly. And it helped me so much to realize as long as I'm headed in the right direction with Herbert, if God's in the equation, I'm taking off the labels and I'm bringing hope back in the equation, that, those things allowed me to rebuild my house and my marriage. And lastly, I would say that it's not easy. Just because God is in the equation doesn't mean that everything is easy breezy. It can be hard, uncomfortable, sacrificial. It just, it can take everything in you, but it is always worth it. And I'm so thankful for what we have today um, after we've worked through these kinds of issues and things that get on our nerves. Yeah, because on things that get on your nerves, it can create a wall yeah. in your marriage. And so we would say we had a great marriage, mm -hmm. but there were walls up in our marriage. What would you say, Tiffany, just the number one thing that you feel like we, now that we do today and that, that, that we've learned and so a tool or two that we do today that really helps us uh, navigate and not to get on each other's nerves as much as we were when we were going through these issues. Yeah, I would say for sure that we learned how to better communicate in the specific area of not trying to win or lose or prove our side, um, but that we would listen to understand one another. So now our discussions and sometimes our conflicts um, even when we're having a conflict, it's more about trying to understand where he is coming from and he's trying to understand where I'm coming from um, so that we can gain common ground um, in that. So it's not so much about like, well, I am right and you're totally wrong. It's just about us understanding what's happening in that situation. That's been really, really big for us. And it's not about winning. You can win and still lose. And so it's been very helpful for us in our relationship to go, this is not about right or wrong. It's about us working together as a team. And so that's been really, really, really big for us in trying to understand each other's vantage points because there are still times we just disagree, but we are agreeable when we disagree. We are loving and kind when we disagree, and that's been a, a big game changer. Another area uh, that's really huge for couples is, is the area of finances. Did you realize, I know some of you do, money is a number one issue married couples fight about. So it's just a number one issue. And, and there are Christian couples that do not believe they can have peace and harmony in their marriage in regards to finances. But I want to give you hope today. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you can really have harmony and peace when it comes to money and marriage. It is possible with Christ. The scripture says in Mark chapter 10 and verse number six, it says, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Come on, everybody at all of our locations, everybody shout one flesh. That's so key. The two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And spiritually, this is easy. This is God's part. Spiritually, two people become one flesh. But it's more difficult and more challenging for us to actually live this out as married couples in every area of our life. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, we can live as one flesh, be a part of the same team when it comes to the area of our finances. And so I want to give you just some keys, just really quickly, to having peace, to lessening the tension and getting on each other's nerves when it comes to the area of finances. Here, here's, some, here's some keys. If you have a pen or your phone, you could just get these down real quick. 
The first is this, acknowledge you and your spouse are different. I think that's so huge. Oftentimes we marry somebody who's very different than us. Maybe oftentimes one person's a spender and the other one is a saver. A saver. And, and, and I would say this, you're different, but different is not bad. Different is different. I want that to sink in. Different is not bad. Different is different. If you start to view that you're right, they're wrong, your, your, your strengths are, are better than theirs, and, and you, they're, they're just a bad, they're, they're bad in how they operate, that kind of thinking actually puts you in opposition with your spouse. So you have to begin to acknowledge you're different, but that doesn't make you bad. Different is different. Different is not bad. So just acknowledge you and your spouse are different. And then the second thing that I would say to lower the tension and the stress and the getting on each other's nerves is get to the root of your tension. Most people, when they're arguing about money, are not arguing about money. Money oftentimes is, it, 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 it represents something that's going on in somebody's heart. So it's, it's tied emotionally to something that's going on in our hearts. So when people are arguing about money, oftentimes what they're really arguing about is power or they're arguing about love, or, or they're arguing about security, or, or maybe it's arguing about status, or control, or acceptance. And so you have to get to the root of why you're fighting over money, because you're probably not fighting really over money, over a dollar bill. You're fighting over, you feel insecure, you don't feel safe, you, 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 you want power, you want control. You're so concerned about status, or image, or acceptance. And so get to the root of what's really happening in your heart, and why you're arguing over money. Uh, a third key would be this. Don't be a controller. It's easy for a person who thinks I make more money than you make. I bring more, bring more money home than you bring home. So therefore, I should have more control and say over the finances. That is wrong thinking. It will, that, that's not two people becoming one. That's going to create conflict in your relationship. Remember, you and your spouse, no matter who brings home more money, you're a team. You're, you're, you're one flesh. You're, you're doing this together. You're partners for life. So you don't want to be a controller. You want to remember that you are a team. And here, here, this number four, this is really, really big for a lot of married couples. No financial secrets. You got to be honest with each other. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Here's what I know. Even today, and thousands of you watching online, here's what I know today is that some of you have financial secrets like a secret credit card. I'm waiting for the hand to go up around here. Who's doing it? You got a secret bank account. You got secret spending. Your spouse doesn't know, but you're spending money. You got to come out. You got to be, you got to be open. You got to be honest about where you are financially, about the credit card, about the bank account, about the spending. You got to get on the same page there. And then you have to talk through and agree upon your financial goals. I think a lot of tension takes place because we haven't agreed upon financial goals. Get down. What are your long-term goals as a, as a couple? What are your short-term goals? Tiffany and I have long-term goals, whether it be maybe for you as retirement or owning your own home or paying off your home or becoming debt-free or you want your children to go to college and you're setting aside a college fund or your giving goals. What are your long-term goals? And then for my wife and I, what are your yearly goals? That's what we sit down. Every year we go, what are our yearly goals when it comes to our finances? And you have to have those in place so that you can be on the same page financially. And then I would say this to you all, and that is set an agreed upon budget based on your goals. So based on your long-term goals, based on your short-term goals, how are you going to give, save, and live? What are those goals you're gonna have and, and your budget, what's your budget going to be for those goals? 
And I would say for my wife and I, here's where we got in a lot of, uh, just quite a bit of tension uh, throughout the years, is we would not revisit and update our budget as regularly as we should have. So we would set the budget, we would have our long-term goals, our short-term goals, but what we've learned is we've got to actually talk weekly or bi-weekly about how are we doing because sometimes there's an area where you set aside money maybe for a repair or for something unexpected but it ended up costing you more than you thought and so we would go months without really talking and reconciling that and not taking money from this category and now moving it over to that category so that we can ensure that that category is taken care of so that's just very important and we would have some tension around that that we've had to work through and realize the system of we've got to communicate more frequently about our finances so that we can be on the same page and then I would just say this is the last thing and that is to have peace in a marriage relationship requires compromise Tiffany does not get everything that she wants and I don't get everything that I want. We compromise so that we can hit our long-term goals and our short-term goals, and I think that's really critical. I think another huge area where couples find themselves in disagreement and a lot of tension and on each other's last nerves is the subject of children and uh, raising children. Yes, and Herbert and I have had our fair share of tension and conflict conflict in the area of parenting. And because we are very different from one another and we see things from different viewpoints, um, Herbert, um, as we've said before, is more firm. Um, I'm probably more soft and trusting. I'm more of a feeler. Herbert's more about facts and what's practical. And so this is... I said it once. I don't need to tell you you twice. (laughs) And I want to analyze what was the feeling that made you know... (laughs) So we're very We're going to have some feelings in just a minute if you don't listen the first time. <laughs> no, I'm all for discipline. But, <laughs> so, but this would play out in certain scenarios um, in parenting. Um, for instance, especially when the kids started going to school um, and they would get invited to go to a friend's house. And I, my heart is that they would enjoy the social aspect of friendship. And, you know, I've met the parent before. I had a good feel about that person. So I felt like, hey, that's probably okay. And, and I would say, I don't know those people. Yes. When I send our kids over, I don't know those. I don't know them people like that. I know, babe. And he won out because that's wisdom, you know. But and we, we came into... Y'all know Uncle Freaky Freddy over there. I don't know. He might be coming over today. I don't know that, Uncle. Come I know. on. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I know, babe. So, but that would bring tension um, because... I'm the softy. The kids are begging me to go to their friend's house. I'm the one having to tell them, I'm sorry, you can't go. Um, now, let me say with the children, we, this is a conver- we lead them. This is a conversation we have with them. They know um, our boundaries and everything. But that was just a tension that he and I had to work through in our parenting. Um, and it took compromise and communication for understanding. So even though I felt this way, when I really processed what he was saying, and due to what I want for my children, wisdom won out on those situations. Um, but that was something, and we still talk through that in situations, because I tend to lean more towards the social, and he leans more towards wisdom, and maybe what's best in scenarios for our children. Yeah. Um, Here's my theory. Let me, I'm going to do a poll right now across all locations. Come on. Participate in my poll. How many of you, when you were growing up, you went to a friend's house and you did some stuff with your friend you know you had no business doing. Lift them hands up right now. The rest of you are lying. 
That's right. And so I know that. And so you get a bunch of kids together, and our kids just never spend the night over anybody's house because I don't think anything good has happened after midnight. Amen. So come on back to the house. You know, you know what I'm saying? So we just had to really work through those things because of the reality that I know and she both, we both know nothing's getting ready to happen yes. here. And yes. so we just had to really work through that yeah. with our, yeah. how we're going to raise our children. And I think that for us, even though we may come from different um, angles on something, the thing that we have done that is the most powerful and important is being unified as a team. Um, and so we came up together through discussion of what is our unified um, plan for our children? What are our goals long-term? What do we want to see long-term for our children? Short-term goals? Um, what are the things that we value? So we had a unified plan on discipline, um, and especially in a society where kids' schedules tend to rule, um, we even have a plan about what is our family structure schedule going to look like. And for us, we eliminated a lot of the possible tension and conflict through um, a clear plan, through a calendar and communication. So the clear plan is kind of what we just talked about, like just discussing what are we unified on in terms of what's important to us for our children. Um, the calendar has been so good for us um, because we put all family activities on that calendar. So anything that is related to our kids' extracurricular, school, church, all of that stuff goes on the calendar. Um, our family things, like our family dates or our family time, that goes on the calendar. Um, and then a step that we added that's been very beneficial is we go over week to week. So I'll send Herbert a text. Um, it's kind of like a weekly check-in. And I'll just have it listed Monday through Sunday. And I just list everything, the time, what the activity is. And I send it to him so that he has a chance to look it over. And then... Um, then it goes on to communication where we can actually talk about it. So, Let me yes. say something. This yeah. is really, really big because what would happen is Tiffany can be more go with the flow and I'm more structured with my schedule. And so for Tiffany, she may, before we, got, we start going to this system of communicating, her sending me the text and us talking about it, where she might say to me on a Monday, hey, did you know tomorrow we got this going on with the kids? I'm like, well, I didn't know that. And then there'd be tension because I'm like, man, you messing with my schedule. You know what I mean? Because I'm just more structured. So it would just create tension. So we had to figure out in our relationship, how, how do we stop getting each other's nerves when it comes to uh, the, the, the schedule? And so this has been a, a game changer to keep us on the same page. Yeah, for sure. And it allows us, when we do the weekly check-ins, um, it also allows us um, to even talk about the logistics of something just so that it's like smoother all around. Um, so we know how to plan for that. Um, and then I would also say, in addition, that the communication component, um, you may feel like it's overstated, but it's so important because things change and seasons change. So for instance, we've had seasons where maybe some, an activity did work, but then we try it again in another season and it is just crazy. Like it's messed up the whole like peace and flow of our family. Um, and so it's just important for us to be able to talk through all those things, how, because everything you decide to do is going to somehow have an impact on everything else around it. And so you just have to make sure um, that that's something that you want, that we want for our family. Um, and so I think that's really important on the communication piece. With no, that. I agree with you. I think that's been really, really uh, critical. And just realizing where do you want your kids to end up? So we want our kids to love God. We want them to love church. You know, we want them to 
to, to honor God. We want them, so we just have things where we want them to want to come home one day. So when they're out of our house, we want them to actually want to come back to our house. So because we have a bullseye, what we want for our children, we have to, we, we know the direction we're going to take them. We don't really care if they're going to be the greatest athlete in the world. That's not what we're after. We want you to love God. They're, they're in sports, but sports is not dominating our home. Jesus is dominating our home. We just have a direction we're going with our kids that's so unified and that we've, we've, we've talked about. So I think that's so, 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 so critical. Yeah. Well, I, I want to just highlight one other area. Uh, today that's a, a big area for couples and that's the area of sex and I know that can be a lot of tension uh, in marriages around the subject and the issue of sex and so uh, we want to just spend a few moments highlighting this and talking about it and here's what I would say to kick this off is that the majority of people I would say 90 percent plus people who get married enter marriage with the wrong view of sex because of Hollywood and in music and television, there's this wrong view of intimacy. There's this view of this. It's the flesh is in control and it's all about gratification. It's all about this uncontrollable desire or these unrealistic expectations or, or these crazy fantasies becoming reality. And so there creates this, this tension because people bring so much baggage into the marriage relationship. What, what would you say, Tiff? Yeah, and I think that It is so common for couples to blame their marriage issues on sex when the reality is it is actually rooted in something altogether different. So if you are having conflict in finances, that is going to impact intimacy in your bedroom. If you are having conflict over parenting, that is going to carry over into intimacy in the bedroom. If you feel like your spouse doesn't like you or they're attacking you, or maybe even if you are in a relationship where there is no communication, that is going to impact and affect intimacy and sex in the bedroom. Um, You may have heard the quote that um, good sex starts outside the bedroom, and it's true. It is so true. Everything that happens outside the bedroom affects what happens inside the bedroom. Even if your spouse looks at you wrong one day, that is going to affect intimacy. I'm working at a church. I'm working at sex in the bedroom. So I just think it's really important that if if you are feeling dissatisfied with sex and intimacy in your relationship, to look further and see what might be happening outside the bedroom that's actually impacting that area of your relationship. So good. I want to spend just a few minutes, not long, not going to resolve all maybe the tension that you're having, but how to improve tension in, the, in, the, in a marriage relationship when it comes to sex. Just, just, just a, 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 few, a few things I want to highlight. And the first I would say, say this is gain God's view on sex. Gain God's view, gain his perspective on sex and intimacy. That means look to God's word. We have to get God's word. So what is God's view? Not Hollywood's view, not television's view, not, not what's playing on the radio, on the, on the, on, 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 that the music is pumping out today in society. What does God's word actually say and get his view on it? And as we begin to get God's view, here's what I will say. A lot of us bring in baggage. So maybe it's bringing in abuse. Maybe it's bringing in uh, before you even knew Christ and uh, you, you were doing some things that you had no business doing. I know that was for me uh, with, 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 with young ladies. And now here I am, a follower of Jesus, getting married to Tiffany. And I'm bringing all of my past and I'm bringing my past thoughts and I'm bringing in abuse into our, and I had no idea the impact it would have on our relationship. So you have, actually have to get healed of your past. 
You got to let the Lord touch your heart. His word touch your heart. You may need to go and get some Christian counseling just so you don't allow your past to hinder the intimacy in your relationship with your spouse. And as you get God's perspective, you start realizing sex is not a weapon. It's not a tool for manipulation. That's not God's perspective. So what do we have to do? We have to get in God's word and allow God to renew our minds because we bring in all this secular. We bring all this carnal. Some of you don't even realize how much you're tainted by the secular, how much you're tainted with carnality and fleshly and worldly thinking that's actually impacting your intimacy. And so the scripture says in Romans chapter 12 and verse two, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't, don't conform. You, you, you got the wrong thinking. It's, it's hindering your intimacy. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his perfect, his acceptable will. And so it's so important that we get our minds renewed and get God's view on sex. A, a second thing, and Tiffany highlighted this so well, and that is understand that good sex and intimacy starts outside the bedroom. So Patterson, what does that mean? You got to forgive each other so that walls can come down because walls can come up so easy in a relationship and it's impacting intimacy. So you got to learn to forgive. Uh, you got to learn just to love each other and be kind to one another, being kind, being patient, being loving outside of the bedroom impacts your intimacy inside the bedroom. So just really, really working on loving each other, forgiving each other, talking things out, letting walls come down. And the, the last thing I would say is talk about intimacy. It can feel awkward, it can feel weird, but begin to talk about it. And the more that you talk about it, the more it, the comfortable it will become. But you can start talking about expectations or hurts or likes and dislikes. Start talking about it. Communication is so key to having a thriving marriage relationship. Well, hey, I'm always grateful that my wife's always willing to come and to open our life up in front of thousands of people so that we can help because we both have a, we love you all and we care about your relationships and we want you to win in your marriage. We want you to win in dating. We want you to win uh, in your parenting. We want you to win in your relationships at work, at school. We want you to win in relationships. So thank you, Tiffany, for coming and opening your, up your life and our life and our marriage. Would you put your hands together and thank Tiffany for coming out today and sharing our life. And I, I want to say this to you today. No matter the journey you're on in relationships, I think it's very important that you understand that God cares about you and your relationships. No matter what you're facing in your relationship, in your marriage, in your dating, in parenting, at your school, at your work, things may not be ideal, but God really cares. And he cares and he wants to help you. He wants to help you. He wants to strengthen your relationships. Maybe your marriage is struggling and it's on the rocks. I want you to know that God, that with him, there's hope for your marriage. There's hope. And so don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Just go after God. Start submitting to his word. Get around some good Christian people. Get in a small group. Get some help. Get some strength. Get God's word in you because God cares deeply about your relationship, about your marriage. He wants them to win.